0: What's
1: going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We're still doing our Zoom podcast, uh, which is actually kind of fun. I get to look at look at Tim's mug for a little while throughout my day. So uh, today we had the pleasure of sitting down with Ben Canary. Uh, he's one of the owners and founders of Herculine. Uh, they do meal prep. Service, and so we kind of get into his story. He had his own big transformation that he went through. Uh, He talks about living with his brother, who was a bodybuilder, and they came up with this idea of doing meal prep, but a little bit better than the rest. So, a really cool story, fun conversation with Ben. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun getting to sit down and talk with him and he really hooked us up. We'll give you guys a discount code at the end of the intro and episode, but he is trying to hook up all the listeners. So be sure to go check that out at herculean.com. Tim, what'd you think about the episode?
2: Yeah, I thought there were a lot of good um, stories and lessons to be taken away from this uh, podcast discussion. Um, ben, you can talk about it in the in the podcast, but he just reached a point in his life where he needed a change. Uh, He needed a a life transformation from a health standpoint, uh, from a food standpoint, from an exercise standpoint. So he really walks through what that looked like, um, gives some tips on what you can do if you're trying to get out of a funk um, mentally or from a health standpoint. Um, And he was able to, he talks about uh, leaving college to start this business and taking a risk and really gets into uh, the meal prep, uh, food delivery, food delivery industry which I thought was really interesting and uh, just some some of the types of people that he's cooking for and uh, we asked how growing a business like this because obviously with with meal prep uh, you need to bring more people on if you want to grow your business and uh, not sacrificing quality and choosing the right people to build his team uh, you can just tell that he has a he has a passion for this and he has a passion for helping people and you can get that um, right away from talking to him. So I thought it was a great interview.
1: Yeah, 100%. And that's herculeanmealprep.com. I think I miss said that earlier. But yeah, so um, when you guys go there, uh, put in the discount code off the dome and that'll get you 20% off. I'm going to make sure I did that part right. I think it's off the dome. Yes, off the dome at checkout Herculene Meal 20% off. Here we are, Ben Canelo.
0: When we started this, I was at uh, like 17th in Pennsylvania. Oh, sure. If you remember, there was a coffee shop called the Thirsty Scholar. Still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not open though, I don't think. Oh. Uh, yeah. still got the signs, everything. It's like- yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd been yeah. there once or twice. Uh it's a cool little joint.
0: Yeah. That's like where we started all like our Instagram and the website and everything we did in that coffee shop
1: it was there huh so so when did uh when did all that start when did you finally realize like okay this is our thing
0: summer of 2016 okay yeah
1: and and what kind of what kind of sparked that and what were you doing before that too
0: so it really started the summer of 2015 when uh i decided to make a really radical lifestyle change um, I was 29 years old and I was really overweight and really unhealthy and depressed. And I decided uh, I went up to grad school in ball state and I decided I was going to try and lose a lot of weight while I was up there. And my brother was a competitive bodybuilder. Okay. Like when he was 18 or 17, he did his first show and I think he competed for like, 10 years. So growing up, I always knew like my brother had this diet that would let him like lose all his fat, but like keep all his muscle, you know? And so I asked Nate, that's my brother. I asked him for his diet and he gave it to me. I was up in school and I was spending more time like vacuum sealing, frozen single serving meals than I was in class, you know? And I went down from, I think, like 235. I got down to about 190. And I kind of plateaued. Mm -hmm. And then it was like during the spring semester, my brother was building a nutrition store down in Florida. And I decided to kind of drop everything and go help build that store. And we did that. And then I came back home. And it's like, it's hard to describe, but really, like what felt right, was for me to just move in with my brother, forget about school for the moment, and just cook for both of us and just really try and get in the best shape of my life. And uh, it was weird because when I moved in with him, we both lost 10 pounds in the first 10 days. Oh, wow. (laughs) We really locked it in, you know? And I ended up getting down to like, I think 156 was my lowest weight. But I looked like I was like 200 pounds. And uh, we just stayed like that. And so we didn't come into this with the idea of let's make a business. Basically, we just got in really phenomenal shape. and everyone around us was asking us how we were doing that. and the answer was it was the food. Mm-hmm. So we started cooking for our friends, like bringing food to the gym. And then it started becoming friends of friends were asking us to cook for him. And we decided to make it a business because it started just becoming so big that it was kind of like taking over his kitchen. And we realized there was a huge demand for it.
1: That's super cool. So um, did you end up going back to school? Did you just kind of get super locked in on the business? now?
0: Super locked in. Yeah, yeah, I was full-time on the business from the time we started. And – uh yeah, I have in my mind, I like to go back to school, but mm-hmm. no, it's been full-time Herculean the entire time.
1: That's cool. That's awesome here, man. Uh, what, were you, uh, what were you studying in school?
0: I was studying applied social psychology okay. at Ball State, and uh, I've kind of studied everything. Like My undergrad at IU, I started off as a music major. Uh, I ended up getting a bachelor's of science in psychology with minors in music, biology, and sociology. And then I went to Purdue and I was studying pharmaceutical regulatory and quality compliance. I got kind of like half of a master's in that. Okay. I I wasn't super passionate about it, although I did really like food and drug law. And it's funny because all of that Purdue stuff has really come into play with the business, both in Mm -hmm. terms of like regulatory compliance and uh, doing some of these like, almost like manufacturing engineering type, like lean manufacturing things in the kitchen.
1: Sure. So did you, uh, you said you moved in with your brother to cook for you guys full time. Do you have a cooking background? Is that something you've just kind of always done on your own or?
0: A little bit of both. When I was a freshman in college, I was like extremely broke, you know, and I had to make like 10 bucks last for a week of food pretty much, you know, so that means you have to cook your own food. So I started off cooking out of necessity. And then all through college, I worked at restaurants and um then after college i started really getting into like watching youtube videos and going to the store and buying ingredients and cooking and like taking notes and i really kind of uh just discovered a passion and took it as far as i could which i'm still doing yeah cool Cool.
2: props to you ben for being willing to take that risk from leaving college to moving with your brother to go all in on this business. Cause I feel like a lot of people might, might not have that audacity or, or confidence to do that. And one thing I wanted to ask is, I mean, you mentioned how you started demand for it. What do you think worked for you guys initially to get that kind of growing? Was it the quality of the food? Was it the convenience? Was it just your mission? What do you think was successful for you at first? It was just that we,
0: uh, man, it was like a surreal environment where we were both just really happy doing what we were doing, and we were extremely healthy, and uh, yeah, just people were just attracted. We were it was like magnetic. Um, I think that people just wanted to be a part of what was happening. It was like a, a strange health movement
2: mm-hmm.
0: that. Happened. Uh, regarding like the audacity thing, I can definitely tell you, like, I almost didn't do it because like, okay, my biggest fear was all of my friends are going to see me take this big jump and then we're going to fail and they're going to like not take me seriously. And that might sound like, uh, kind of funny or strange, but that was like a really real fear that I had. And, uh, You ever had like someone on facebook like invite you to like their page and it's like maybe it's a new thing they've started and it has like it's like they haven't even started it yet but they invite everyone to like it like i still haven't invited all my friends to like my page and when we started i was like you know i'm gonna wait until we have like a thousand likes or something (laughs) and uh i don't know i guess i don't care about that as much now but it it is a big risk to go all in on something. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I don't think that sounds strange at all. Cause I know Tim and I have had to just decide, okay, we put ourselves out there on a podcast. Cause some people are like, Hey, I probably couldn't get vulnerable or do this or that. It's like, well, you know, we know not everyone's going to like it. So I think uh, that's powerful that, you care less about that. Um, But I think that's a lot of people's fears, starting their own business or doing, you know, even showing off, oh, I'm a musician too. So how did you kind of overcome that little hurdle of, okay, I just need to not care about all that. And then how have you kind of transitioned mentally to be okay with putting more out there?
0: I mean, we just did it. You know, um, there's a book that I read a long time ago. It's called feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I read that book and then that helped me do it. But like, that's describes what we did. I mean, we just jumped in with both feet and since then, yeah, it's like the business just requires certain things of you, you know, and if you're afraid to step up, it doesn't matter because you have to step up anyways. Um, I find that like, it's weird. I'm, I'm more nervous to get on our Instagram channel and go live than I am to go on TV. Hmm. And I think like to a certain extent, even something like this, like a podcast, I was probably a little nervous for this podcast in a way that I am really typically not when we're like in a studio. Hmm. I don't know, it's weird. It. And it comes down to putting yourself out there, like you said, for sure. Okay. But yeah. yeah, just do it. I mean that's the, the
1: Yeah, just gotta just gotta do it. Yeah. Well anything goes on our podcast, so you can say or do whatever you want. <laughs> we try to keep it as conversational as laid back as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah, no, I think that's good because I, I think a lot of people think there's some magic formula or like, oh how how do I get over this? You just have to. Right. Yeah. It's you know, it's unfortunately there's no secret pill, you can, you know, blue pill, red pill. But uh yeah, and and that's something uh, that we've noticed too is some people will like a certain type of, of post. So it's just kind of that trial and error. Uh, how have you guys seen Herculean do better with certain types of marketing than, than something else?
0: Oh, marketing specifically. Uh, well, say,
1: say digitally or, or how you guys kind of, what have you seen work and not work in terms of being exposed, I guess.
0: So one thing that I tried, um, uh, Somewhat recently we did a direct mail campaign and I had really high expectations for it. Should I say I had, I had expectations for (laughs) it? It really hardly, it didn't work at all. It was a massive disappointment because it was pretty expensive. And uh, so there's one thing that has not worked for us. I don't know. I might try another one, but I probably won't. What I like about digital ads is you can kind of like track, how successful they are and I've seen certain types of campaigns work better than others. Um, One thing that I was really surprised by uh, we made a meal that was I tried to recreate something that it was like one of my favorites It's like red curry beef and uh, I loved the meal and it just for some reason didn't sell well. I mean, it was like our 15th most popular meal. Mm. And uh, so I've had to try not to cook for myself, you know, and I've tried to find what people want so that we can make it for them in a healthier way. Okay.
1: And, and how is how else is that menu inspired? Cause I was looking through your old's uh, menu the other day. There's some good looking stuff on there too. So it's like, man, I would cook that for me too. So how do you, kind of gauge what you might go for in and say beef or poultry or something. How do you go about creating that menu and how often do you change that up?
0: So sometimes something just kind of like pops into my head and I'm like, I think that we should try this. And in general, what we do is, uh, I'll make a new meal. We'll make like a test size batch of it. We will sell it. We'll gather feedback. If, people really like it then we make a lot more of it you know um sometimes I travel to places like recently I went to New Orleans and I actually went to the New Orleans School of Cooking which was really awesome I learned to make gumbo and I've got a plan to put a gumbo on the menu it's going to be really good hopefully people like it Mm -hmm. um and I don't know these days I think I try and like I was saying earlier cook less for myself and, and and more try and discover what people want so that we can uh make it for them in a healthier way sure sure Ben have what,
2: you oh
1: no go ahead go ahead
2: I was to ask maybe it's kind of a two part question have you done like research on just the competitive landscape of indie in terms of meal prep meal delivery um, and I guess what separates your brand from others that you can maybe take when you market your brand to differentiate yourself? Sure.
0: So uh, in terms of researching competition, I really don't spend much time doing that. And maybe I should, but it's, it just feels like I've got a lot going on and yeah. it can never be done with work uh, as it is. So I try and focus on what we're doing and how we can do it as well as we can. Um, that being said, I'm, pretty familiar with other companies that are local as well as national. And uh, so out the gate, one thing that hugely separates us from a lot of other companies is that our meals are frozen. And one of the things that I really like about that is the convenience of it. I think we've done a very good job of making a frozen entree that you can heat in the microwave or in the oven, and it doesn't taste like it was frozen. It tastes like you kind of just made it. And we do a lot of things as we're preparing the meals that are kind of like specifically tailored toward making a frozen meal. Cooking for a frozen entree is totally different than like making dinner at home. Um, So that's one thing that's different about us. Another thing that's different is we've got a grocery store in our like brick and mortar location. And we've got, I think hundreds of different like protein donuts and like, sugar free barbecue sauce and like just all kinds of like health oriented uh foods that typically i mean we find them like on instagram and things like that they're the kind of things that you might buy online and have to pay shipping for but you can come to our store and uh get them without having to pay shipping we've also got an in body 570 body composition machine um which is pretty like state of the art like tells you how much uh, fat and muscle and water you have in your body and where it's distributed. So you can actually come into our store, kind of like make a plan for how many calories would probably help you reach your goal, and then figure out how our meals might help you get there, and then you can track your progress. And that, I'm to my knowledge, is like pretty unique, what we have at our uh, retail location. And then just, I think our food just tastes great. I think there's a very fine line between uh, being just totally like unseasoned and just like plain and being kind of like too chefed up, you know, like there's just a little too much sugar. There's a little too much fat, um, to try and make it taste good. And I think we do a really good job of walking that line and having food that legitimately tastes great. But it's like, if our food is the only food you eat, you're going to get in fantastic shape and you're going to feel great.
2: Mm-hmm. right that's awesome uh when did you guys move in the brick and mortar location
0: let's see it took us like 10 months to build for one uh we'd been in business about like probably three months or something before we uh signed a lease on the store so we knew right away we wanted a store um that being said, it wasn't until, like, the next summer. I mean, the permit process was crazy. Um, yeah, we did everything ourselves, so it just really stretched out. But when we built our store, I and mean, when we got on TV for the first couple times. At that point, we didn't have our own kitchen. So, like, we just ran out of food. We didn't have enough space to make the food. And um, we spent a lot more time building our production kitchen than we did building our store. We've been really kind of nonstop improving the kitchen for the past like three years. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Slager, you're uh you're pretty big on
2: kitchen design. Guess- <laughs> you, want, you want to ask your kitchen question for me? Uh,
1: what's um, I, so I'd like to ask personal and uh, your, your business kitchen. What are some of your favorite aspects uh, to a good kitchen? Cause I'm always, I spend a lot of time cooking as, as well. Um, so I'm in nutrition and rehab. And so I'm always, you know, cooking, doing my own thing. Uh, and so I design my kitchen as I go along. I think I'm a genius for some things. Uh, and we've talked to a couple of chefs in the last week or so. Uh, but yeah, what are some big things that you really enjoy having in both personal, uh, since you do a lot of personal cooking as well in your kitchen and your business kitchen, uh, that are kind of some must haves.
0: So I'm super big on food safety and food safety really starts with the flow of the establishment. And some of the things that we're blessed to have uh, at our kitchen are we've got separate walk-in fridges for raw meat, walk-in fridge for uh, actually like cooked food and vegetables, like what you could say like non-hazardous food. And then uh, we've got a whole separate working area for when we have raw meat and then a separate cooking area, separate area for processing the food after it's been cooked. And then we have this massive blast chiller, which we can use to, you know, you like temp the food as it's cooking. And when it's cooked, you know, you take it up to a critical limit mm-hmm. and then you can timestamp it with when it gets below 41 degrees. And it's all kind of laid out so that you're not like bumping into anyone else who's working on the opposite kind of thing. You know, it's like in a circle and that is, is amazing um and then we've just got a ton of dry storage space Uh, we have like two thousand square feet of freezer space which is really cool and yeah tons of refrigeration so that for me is a must-have it's kind of like the flow of the establishment and a whole bunch of space to store everything and then the right uh equipment to be able to safely cook a lot of food and um my kitchen at home i mean you can kind of see in my apartment it's a little weird i wish i had a little bit of a better layout i don't really have any drawers i don't have the right place to like have a magnetic strip for my knives and things like mm, that okay but i have a dream kitchen that i want to yeah. build today, and it's going to include things like a countertop combi oven which is like a steam assisted convection oven oh, wow. maybe a counter blast chiller and um like a big kitchen. It's something where you could throw a party for like 30 people. Yeah. Know? That is what I was really like with a walk in fridge. I really <laughs> want to fridge in my house. You know, something. Got it, something like that.
1: Get ready for the next COVID event. Get a walk in okay. fridge. You'll be stocked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, I do. Not like, I don't even know. We probably have 30,000 pounds of food at the kitchen right now. Wow. So we're, we're stocked. Wow. Have you guys had to make any
2: uh, business strategy adjustments when it comes to operations or logistics when it comes to uh, obviously the pandemic that we're going through right now? Any pivots you had to make?
0: Yeah, so the first thing I did, um, I like tried to read what the guidelines were for food companies. And one of the biggest things that they were talking about is like uh, with regards to your supply chain. So I think especially when it first hit, It was like fresh meat was kind of like sold out everywhere. Um, But what I did was I I contacted all my vendors to see what was happening on their end, like uh, if they were running out of certain things and I kind of stockpiled up on everything that's either like a dried good or a frozen good. So that that way we're not, sometimes when you make rush decisions with regard to your uh, inventory, that's when you can have unsafe conditions, you know, or like the last thing I want to do right now is we ran out of cilantro. So I have to go into a crowded grocery store to get it, you know? So I looked at all of our ingredients and I tried to stock up as much as I could. Then I took our menu and I reduced it by about 50%. So we have like 13 or 14 meals on our website right now. And that's down from like, I don't know, 25 or something like that earlier. And that has let us keep everything in stock and it's let us keep all the ingredients in stock so that we don't have to, at the last minute, just try and come up with some garlic or something like that. You know? Um, The other thing that I did, and it was a lot more expensive than I thought it was gonna be, but uh, I got a lot of, I guess they call it like personal protection equipment, but we use like disposable lab coats um and these like they're called bouffants but they're they're basically like a hood it's like a woven hood kind of like a i don't know you look like we're working in a lab or something like that and um so we've switched to disposable clothing and i think we're just going to keep doing that for the foreseeable future
1: so you guys still delivering quite a bit then
0: Something yes. We, delivery has gone up quite a bit for us. Yeah. And yes. it's like, it's, you know, a contact list, you get a box dropped at your porch. And I think it's a great way for people to not have to leave their home to go to the grocery store right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're seeing a lot of um, small business restaurants having to pivot and really revamp the way they deliver food right now. Because if you don't have a system or plan in place, you're, you're going to lose this year for sure. or Maybe even go out of business for a lot of them. So it's good yeah have you guys i mean did you guys kind of see the writing on the wall for this happening did you guys have like were you guys barely prepared for it or is it one of those things where you had to really do some pivots in a short amount of time
0: man i mean okay so no we didn't see the writing on the wall at all until probably like shortly before it happened mm-hmm. because i had like some large expos lined up i was going to go to and they got canceled um i think that was like late February. So we kind of knew it was going to get crazy around then, but, uh, we haven't had to adjust many things about our business because our business was already prepared meals that are like sealed up that you take, Mm -hmm. go, and then you heat up at home. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like we were, um, already doing what a lot of other companies are having to pivot toward doing. So I think we were super lucky in the fact that we've got a customer base in Indy already that knew like, hey, we can go to Herculean, you know, mm-hmm. as far as business goes, I think when things first got crazy, we saw like a huge spike and then it, uh, it's definitely gone down. I mean, we're, it's not like we have no business at all. Um, we're still fairly busy, but it's not quite like the huge spike that we saw. Like I think about two or maybe three weeks ago, we almost sold that. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. Crazy
1: time. Crazy time.
2: So Ben, how, how big is your team right now? How is it just you and your brother still? How many employees do you have right now?
0: I'd have to like log into the payroll app off the top of my head, but I think that, if you count, we've got like some contractors, we're really close to 20. Okay, great. I mean, wow. Half-time and part-time and full-time.
2: Great. Yeah. So I guess the question I want to ask then is obviously when it's just you and your brother starting out with, with meal prep and everything, you can only make so much money between you two or be successful because you can only handle so many customers between you two. So can you describe the process of building your team, Uh, just the characteristics you look for in people because the more people you bring on I mean you want to make sure you don't sacrifice your own personal quality that you put into the business up front you don't want to sacrifice your brand how did you go about choosing the right team members for your team and what types of things
0: do you look for well at the very beginning uh, we had one of our friends came into town he just moved back to Indy from Denver and he I remember he like walked into the kitchen, me and Nate were cooking and he was like, what do you guys got going on? And uh, he had just been working at food trucks out in Denver. And so he actually came on pretty much right at the start. So it was kind of like we had a couple people at the beginning and we, we rolled with that for a really long time. I think that I struggled uh, at first with delegating stuff like we'd bring people into the kitchen but i would still be there um kind of like micromanaging the whole process and then i like had this thing where i felt like i needed to be the one to do the dishes and i needed to be the one to mop the floor because like in order to earn the respect to your employees you have to be like willing to do that stuff you know and later i realized that you have to be willing to do that stuff but not like on a normal basis, you know, Um, it did take us a while to bring more people in because sales did have to get to a point. Like it had to be, uh, we were working around the clock, like, you know, hundred hour weeks and stuff like that for at least the first year, year and a half before the business could uh, afford to have any real employees. And as far as characteristics that I look for, to be honest with you, I don't think at this point that it's important that you have a background that has much to do with what we do in the kitchen as, as long as you have a track record of being dependable and you're willing to work hard and you're coachable. Mm -hmm. I think those are like the only things. And then like we've got a really great crew in the kitchen that have a great, uh, know you'd say like camaraderie or um culture and it's like if you want to come into the kitchen and just throw some headphones in and work hard but not interact with everybody then i think that would be a poor fit too so we look out for kind of like some red flags that we've seen that would indicate you're not a good fit and when i'm hiring somebody for the kitchen i uh i try and just you know look for the qualities like if on your resume you've never held a job down for longer than one year, you know, or like you've got a lot of like three month, uh, jobs on your resume, then it's tough to bring you on. Cause like, how do I know that you're going to stay? You know. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I guess kind of going off of that in terms of when you do expand, I know you said when you initially needed more employees, sales had to get to a certain point, which makes sense. Um, Any other factors that you you see you guys do very well in, in terms of when to grow and when to hire that next person? I'm sure having 20 people now, you've kind of gotten the idea of, okay, now we can add one more or we're at the point. So what does that kind of look like? Because I think some people think they need to expand as soon as possible. Uh, What's kind of your all's uh, take on that and initiative with expansion?
0: Man, that's a really involved question. You know, I think the entire history of our company, it's been large swings back and forth of, we can sell more than we can produce and then we can produce more than we can sell. And then now we can sell more, you know, it's like building our production capacity to meet and then exceed the demand that we've currently got and then focusing on what can we do to build sales and getting that up there and then like adding more equipment, more people to build production again. Mm -hmm. Um, right now the stage that we're at, I mean, man, at our kitchen, I think we could probably cook for five stores, uh, with a little more equipment and a few more people. So currently our production is higher than what our demand is. Um, but we've got a new store that's going to open downtown, I think in October. So I'm hoping that'll, you know, roughly double what we do right now. And, um, was going to say something else financially about scaling. Oh yeah. So basically in terms of like bringing new people on, um, I run everything, all of our expenses and everything through QuickBooks. And it's a very necessary tool for us. And what I do is I run these, be like a profit or loss um, by class. So I take all of our expenses and I assign them to classes of the business, whether it's like a corporate expense, because maybe like a Google ads might be like a corporate expense. And then uh, a kitchen expense might be like the utilities that go into the kitchen, all the payroll from the kitchen, things like that. And then a store expense might be like, you know, raise trash for the store dumpster or whatever, or like cost of goods sold at the store would be like, uh, you know, like I said, the, um, food products that we sell at the store. And so I look at a profit and loss by class and it becomes really obvious. Like what are all your expenses and what, how much room is there for you to add on payroll in a given department of the company?
1: Mm. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Involved question. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's good that you, you, you found a system in how you can expand appropriately when it is necessary. Uh, Cause I've, we've talked to some people where they get in trouble doing it too soon or, or not soon enough. And then it's just overwhelming. So yeah, sounds like you got a good, good give and take there. Um, Do you guys uh, sponsor athletes?
0: Uh, Like kind of, but not really. So we've got a few of our friends that happen to be elite athletes, and we kind of like hook them up, and they give us shout-outs. Got it. Um, In terms of an organized program, we've kind of – I don't know. It's like throwing meals at the wall. We've tried it a bunch of times and we've tried it with some athletes that have really big followings. Um, we've even we've cooked for some celebrities and, uh, okay. So I'm not going to name names, but there's one athlete in particular. He's got like 500,000 followers. You know, he's very, uh, well known. Um, I think he's out of state. So we used to ship him meals. And I think out of the, like, three to $5,000 that we spent, like, sponsoring him with meals, I'm pretty sure we got one sale out of it. Wow. You know? And I think it's a little tough because I think a lot of supplement companies sponsor athletes, uh, and they might give you, like, a pre-workout for the month and maybe, like, some protein powder and things like that. But those are items that have, you know, a markup of, like, 800%. Right you know and whereas food the uh the cost relative to the price that we sell it at it's like a lot less than that and also i think that people have an expectation with being sponsored by a meal prep company that it's like they're going to get all of their meals prepared for them you know and it's actually it's really expensive to do that for somebody yeah and i don't know how one person could generate that much return. That being said, I know that ton of companies do it. And I know that we uh, there's an opportunity for us to uh, grow our audience base and our sales by sponsoring athletes. But I think only if it's done in a manner that is intelligently designed and executed. And I think I would need somebody to work with me to design it. And then I would need one person to literally like run that whole program. Cause it, I, it sounds like a lot of work. And I think if you don't sponsor athletes with a really well thought out plan, that's actually followed up on, um, I think it's a waste of money.
1: Interesting. The the money you you threw and then the, Small yeah, ROI on and that
0: and then you're talking about like shipping frozen food is not cheap
1: okay how much how much is that more uh, to ship food like that
0: Well, I mean back in the day we used to do like a one day air, so I might literally uh, I've done this a lot of times, especially with the celebrity that we cooked for because she was like on a tour. we okay. would air her a uh, box of meals and spend like two hundred bucks every time we shipped them out, not including the uh cost of the food or the labor or anything like that so geez uh, yeah now we could do a two-day air for like i don't know it's like 50 bucks or okay something like that a little more reasonable but it still really adds up
1: yeah mm-hmm. um so i want to go back to the menu a little bit i i noticed when i was looking uh and i don't know if this is just kind of coincidence how it worked out or if there's a Uh, science behind it. No meal had more than like 45 grams of protein. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: and I didn't know if that was on purpose or just the way it was, uh, any, any science behind that.
0: So when we first started out, I think all of our meals probably had like 50 grams of protein in it. Okay. And when I lost the bulk of my weight, I was eating a, a bit of a higher protein diet myself. I think there's no question that a very high protein diet can be very effective
1: agreed
0: um however when we started looking at a couple of things like who are we cooking for um not everybody is uh, like a 200 pound guy who's lifting who's trying to build muscle you know and um the turning point for me was like I think it was like a year and a half or two years ago we were cooking for the Purdue wrestling team oh wow and we worked directly at Purdue is really cool because I actually have a dietitian on staff that works with every sports team so we were working with the dietitian for the wrestling team and she was basically like uh she would give me macros she wanted me to hit and then we would discuss menu items and then I would kind of tailor it for that. But I went up and I was talking to the um, dietitian for the Purdue football team. And she's actually also like the head of the whole program. And she said for the Purdue football team, they consume 30 grams of protein per meal. And that was a bit of an eye opener for me because I was like, well, if it's, good enough for the Purdue football team, then I think it's probably good enough for us too. And what I found is if I have a meal that's still low in fat with a decent amount of carbs, with a complex carbs and uh, like a full serving of vegetables, uh, if I have 30 grams of protein, I can still get in phenomenal shape like that. I think there are many, many ways to skin a cat. I think in nutrition, Protein uh, consumption is probably one of like the most controversial topics. Um, I think any plan can work if you stick to it. Mm. You know, like if you have a bit of a more moderate amount of protein with higher carbs and low fat, I think that can work for you. I think if you go high protein, low carb, low fat, that can work. And then like people respond to different diets as well. So what we do now with our macros has been fairly deliberate it's been from working with dietitians um to have meals that so they would feel comfortable recommending to a wider range of people and uh i mean they still work very very well
1: yeah i was curious i was looking through i was like it's gotta be on purpose but yeah never know yeah cool cool and yeah to your point it's all argumentative right anything food health and fitness anyone can argue at all but uh
0: so passionate about it and they get so <laughs> it's like people take it personally when you talk about their approach to diet and you know their approach to cooking food
1: yeah it's like listen zealot do you get results or not <laughs> um so do you do any other like speaking engagements anything like that um do you go to other companies or any anything? I know you said you've been on TV and stuff. Uh, how often do you do things like that? I know probably right now, maybe not as much, but do you go to other places and, and do speaking arrangements and things like that?
0: Yeah, um, it's kind of cool. I have uh, given talks to classes both at um, Ball State as well as IU. Um, like I went to the Dietetics Club at Ball State, and then um, at IU it was actually a food photography class that I went and spoke at. Oh, cool! And I, I've kind of like a standing invite to go do something similar at Purdue, and uh, kind of haven't just lined that up yet. But I think it's cool to have spoken at all the schools that I went to. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I've done a lot of cooking demonstrations, um, things like the state fair. And at our new space, one thing I'm really excited about is it actually has a bit of a test kitchen uh, right next door to us in the um, garage food hall at the Bottle Works. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to doing a lot of food demonstrations there. Um, yeah, we were supposed to be on TV, I think, like, last Friday or something like that. But the studios have uh, restricted, like, outside people from coming in, which I think is a smart move. Maybe a sure. we'll lot. Something like a Zoom type of a thing like this with them. I love public speaking; it's one of my favorite things to do, um, and it's challenging because it is something that uh, requires you to put yourself out there, and uh, I love that. Yeah.
1: Uh, have you been to the Purdue uh, their Dietetics Kitchen in their REC complex? Have you seen yes, that kitchen? I
0: have. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's pretty
1: incredible.
0: Very innovative. Well, first of all, that gym, I think that's a hundred million dollar gym.
1: Yeah. Good thing I saw that after I was already at Butler. I would have changed my mind. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. And, uh, I mean, they use it. You go down there. I mean, there are a lot of kids who are really into fitness there. And one of the most progressive things about it is like you mentioned, they've got a kitchen and it's got glass walls. So like if you're walking by signing in, you can even see when their demonstration is there and, uh, yeah. I've been to it. I've been invited to do cooking demonstrations there, but I haven't actually done that yet. Okay. Um, I had an idea of like a, a dorm meal prep class, you know, Oh, sweet! pretty cool. Um, but yeah, super progressive concept for them to have a teaching kitchen in the gym.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I was at a, they held like a fit fest, Midwest fit fest something a few years back and I saw it and I was like, Holy shit. Like, I might not have gone to Butler, yeah. <laughs> just just for the kitchen,
0: yeah.
1: Um, yeah, the place is immaculate. Uh, so when um, you said you wanted to do some classes in the bottleworks, uh, some cooking demonstrations, is that just kind of throwing meals together, or would you introduce like cutting courses, like chopping things like that? How how integrative are you thinking of trying to get with that?
0: Man. I guess I'd have to gauge the interest to be honest with you. If I were to teach a course on knife skills, I'd probably bring somebody else in. I've got some friends that are like really, really knowledgeable that more so than myself that I'd probably bring in to do a course like that. Um, if I were to teach a class, I I would think that yeah, man. Yeah. My friend, Eric, he's a knife maker in town. His company is called Ash Blades. Uh, they are like, I, to me, they're world class. They're really cool. Um, there are a lot of people like that around here. Okay. Uh, if I were to teach class, I think the most important thing for, I would focus it on newcomers, the counting macros. And I think getting into uh, weighing your food, learning how to use MyFitnessPal to enter things in and, and how to say prep lunch for a week, and calculate the nutrition in each meal. I'd probably focus on things like that. And then I'd focus on maximizing flavor without adding calories, like things like how to use a little more water and a little less uh, oil when you're cooking, but at the same time being able to brown your food. Because I think if you, one mistake that people make when they're trying to like make food that's to like quote unquote clean is like you might add oil to the pan um, like with a spray um and then you might like add water too soon before you really like brown say like the chicken that you're cooking if you have water in the pan it's going to be boiling um at like 212 degrees and that temperature is too low to brown meat so like you're sacrificing some flavor but it's really tempting to just like throw some water in there and kind of like steam your food and sure much oil um. so there are a lot of little like tricks that you can use to like squeeze more flavor out of the food but still make it in a way that's not adding as many calories
1: yeah that's an interesting point because yeah that olive oil is going to add your fats up pretty quick and calories overall
0: yeah people, up. people
1: underestimate the, the oils that you add to the pan
0: yeah totally
1: yeah that'd be that'd be cool um when does that bottle works open exactly is that later this year it's or next in October, year
0: October, and uh as far as i know now it's still full steam ahead i think there's still the construction is like uh critical business or whatever mm. and um they're not foreseeing any delays as of yet um originally it was supposed to be september and i think like sometime over the winter they did push it back by one month okay but i know whenever i try and do a construction project it never goes according to a timetable, but these guys have done a lot of other major developments. I think if you look around town or in other cities and you see really big, exciting developments, you think, man, I want to be a part of that. Sometimes they don't even get built, Mm -hmm. you know, like they might get funding, but then they can't get like the city council to give them a like the right type of a a waiver to do it or whatever. And I, I think I really, signed on early to this concept because i knew that the people behind it are going to make it happen
1: yeah yeah i think it's anyone in that even vicinity is a smart play because i think that's going to be really huge when that gets really up and running and popping
0: i think it's going to be a first date place okay you know how everyone like for a first date they all go to like Bakersfield for tacos and things like that sure sure things i think that the garage food hall is just going to be the perfect place for a date because it's like i don't know like 20 different restaurants that are all really cool it's got like uh, some live music and like multiple breweries and distilleries and stuff like that
1: that's awesome that's super awesome uh tim anything else uh that you want to ask ben before we kind of wrap it up a little bit here
2: Uh, Yeah, one more question on my end. Uh, I want to make sure I ask a question for maybe some of our listeners that may be wondering the same thing. Um, When you initially reached that point where you're like, hey, I I need to lose weight. When you went through that life transformation, what advice would you give to anybody who might be in a similar boat? Like who's maybe in a funk, uh, trying to get on a better eating schedule? What's like one simple step that they can take to move in that right direction, just like you did? Well, besides moving in with the brother.
0: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Having a bodybuilding brother is a great perk. I think for me, I reached a moment of really kind of like surrender where I was like, I looked in the mirror. I didn't even recognize the person I was looking at. And I just, uh, it's almost, I just felt almost like powerless to change that, you know? And I just, it's like I gave up and then almost immediately after it was like I started biking every day started mm-hmm. cooking cleaner food and I made I'm talking about dramatic life changes and I didn't compromise that decision in any way uh and I think If you want to have like a quote unquote, like transformation, you need to have that type of commitment. That's like, I'm giving, I'm dedicating my life to this process. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can take it day by day, but you have to be committed to it completely. You can't uh, just go halfway and expect in 10 months looking like a different person. You know so it's yeah but not everyone has to like come to that point you know um i think a lot of people um can see more moderate changes with uh like more moderate uh lifestyle changes if that makes sense too
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah
1: and and going off that how did uh because sometimes you know, a task like that could seem pretty daunting to people. How did you slowly add uh, a different, you know, healthier habit, something specific without, you know, maybe some people are like, Oh, I got to go zero to a hundred. How did you kind of add that in incrementally to where it wasn't as overwhelming?
0: Well, so first of all, it is one day at a time. And I think living one day at a time can help prevent you from getting overwhelmed. Um, when I first started, I wasn't healthy enough to work out three day, three times a day, you know, like I couldn't do that. But for me, riding my bike for 15 minutes would get me just a total sweat. And uh, I took it step by step. I did come to a point where I was working out three times a day. I was like doing morning cardio, doing CrossFit, and then weightlifting. And I had one injury. It was like an IT band. I kind of messed it up. And that helped remind me that like, you can't do it all in one day, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think if you slowly work in what you're able to do, if you're making changes, then your body is going to change too. And I think you just work it one day at a time, slowly adding things that you're able to do um, until the point that maybe you reach like a plateau and uh maybe that's when you might reach out to somebody who's either like a professional in the food industry or uh, the fitness industry um or you know try and like shake things up and, and try something different
1: okay cool yeah because i know some people they just don't know where to start it's just mm-hmm. add one small small okay. thing
0: i mean it starts with your food i think i think the food's is most by far the most important thing and if you were going to start somewhere I would recommend maybe uh, stop drinking soda and cut out fast food and processed food completely. And by that, I mean like ruffles, you know, like chips, things like that. If you try and switch over to more whole foods and things like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Ben, so we usually like to ask one final question to all our guests, but anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to hit on uh, before we do. So anything else for our listeners, Um, anything you want to touch on?
0: Yeah. I mean, quick plug for what we do. I think a lot of people would probably get the gist of it by now, but we make like carefully prepared, fully cooked, professionally frozen individual serving entrees that taste fantastic. And, um, if you're either trying to get like convenient, really good food, or maybe you're not trying to leave your house, or if you want to come up to our grocery store, which is not busy at all. Um, we're up on 82nd street over by the fashion mall. And we can really, we can offer home delivery anywhere in the country. Um, Indianapolis, uh, is like things like 699 to have uh, home delivery. Okay.
1: Awesome. And where can people find you online? Social media is all that good stuff
0: uh com on ig we're just at herculean so that's h-e-r-c-u-l-e-a-n awesome awesome
1: uh so yeah ben when uh when it's all said and done when uh you're gone from this earth how would you want people to remember the impact that you left
0: that's like such a deep question <laughs> yeah we gotta finish
1: it <laughs> off strong
0: no like you emailed me the gist of you know a couple questions and that was one of them and it like picked me up at night <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> Don't I'm trying know. to
1: ruin your sleep here, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just a very thought-provoking question that I think a lot of people don't take the time to stop and consider. I certainly want people to uh, feel like uh, maybe like inspired to be a little more generous, a little more giving. And uh, certainly I would like to uh, live as an example for somebody who maybe has something that they're really passionate about um and maybe they're n- not really happy like with their job or the direction their life is going um to say like it doesn't i don't think it matters what it is but if you're truly passionate about something if you just stop what you're doing and just only focus on that and just grind i think no matter what you'll find success and and i think like don't think about money because again like we started this off I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to make chicken and rice, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like on the surface, that was not a good plan at all. Um, but it felt right. So yeah, if I could be remembered as maybe, uh, inspiring somebody else to do that, then I think that would be just really, uh, fantastic.
1: Awesome. Ben, we really appreciate your time, man. That was uh, generous of you to give some of your time to us today. So uh, we know you're a busy guy, but we appreciate having you on and had a fun time, dude. It was fun listening to your journey, and I know yeah, people are going to so appreciate uh, hearing your insights and things. So
0: Yeah, you we'll guys get to should, uh, come by the store or something like that. Maybe when like all this is blown over, one hundred
1: percent. Or I mean, if you guys are open, you're in stock and not yeah, busy. You're right,
0: it's <laughs> yeah, eighty
2: second Street over there by Fashion Mall. That's right close to Broad Ripple where I live. So I'll definitely be making a trip over there soon. Yeah,
1: we'll have to we'll have to come up, give us an excuse to get out too.
2: Awesome. Sounds good.
1: All right. Thank you, Ben. Have a good day, man.
0: You too. Talk to you guys later.
1: See you.